Good morning once again, second week of the new year. Hope your new year is going fantastic. And we do have some people that have returned from their travels, I guess. The Gabacons are back from Philippines. And is that correct? They're back. Welcome back, guys. And where else did you go? Singapore? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. And also the Hunters are back from Ireland. Welcome back from Ireland. And also the Barnes are back from traveling to Fiji. So good to have you here, Nigel. Good old thumbs up to Nigel. Give him, give him that. And then our teens are, most of our teens are away at the teen camp. I don't know if you've seen photos, but it looks like they're having a blast and having a great time. So they'll be back in the next couple days. And then when we meet for midweek, we'll be able to hear how their time was. So look forward to that uh, when we have midweek all together. So if you have a Bible, if you could turn over to 1 Corinthians, we're still stretching and warming up to understand the book of 1 Corinthians that, that Paul wrote to the church there in the city of Corinth. And so we're going to read six or seven verses and, and once again look at one point this morning about how grace or the cross should really impact our lives. All right, because that's that's what Paul is really driving at when he writes this letter. There should be some tangible, some visible, concrete aspect to how the cross and grace really shape and change our lives. Now, whenever you visit or whenever someone visits a church with fresh eyes, for better or for worse, they come away with some kind of statement about that church, right? That's just true whenever you visit any any kind of establishment. For instance, if someone with absolutely no church background whatsoever visited our service... And then after service and the fellowship happened, you saw this. You saw like three distinct groups gather. Maybe one gathered back there in the right corner. And then maybe another one gathered back there in the left corner. And then a third gathered up here in the front. And as, and as an outsider, you after they said, amen, let's have a great service. And you saw this just kind of... That would make some kind of statement. Like, what is going on? Why is there this division? Why are the, the, these guys probably not on the same page? Unless there's a meeting for some specific reason, right? But that would appear weird, would it not? Like, just everybody kind of going in their own little corner and their own little clique. And what would happen is it would make a statement about that church, but also about God. Are the, do these people really believe in the same God? Because it looks like they're on different pages. And so what happens is our unity, my unity, your unity, our unity does actually send a statement to the world about God. And if you believe in Jesus and, and, and the cross really has some impact in your life and in our life, then it should display Unity. And that's what Paul is really trying to communicate this morning to the church in Corinth. They say they believe in Jesus. They say the cross has impacted their life. But when you turn up at church in Corinth, it does not look like that at all. So Paul's trying to help them get on the same page and really allow the cross and grace to shape their lives. There's a passage in the Old Testament that makes this claim about God. At some point, his name should be known to all nations. This is Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. 
In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. With that backdrop, God said through the prophets and through the apostles, at some point, God will be made known to everyone. And the way he'll be made known is through our unity. When we see, when people see that we function together, we believe the same thing, and we arrive at the same conclusions, they'll know God is among the nations. That's what Paul is trying to communicate this morning. The cross creates unity. Let's pray together and read a few verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Father, we're grateful to be together, gathered in your presence, and to remember our Lord and Savior Jesus as we we took communion and remember the gift, the sacrifice that you gave us. And we pray that that really does become the root essence of who we are and why we follow your Son. I pray as we read your scriptures, it it helps our mind to be reshaped to the alignment of your will, and, and as a church, that we can, as a whole, reshape to your will as well. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So last week we read verses 1 through 9 and we talked about grace and how how Paul said, hey, I wish I could say something good, but I'm just glad God has saved you. That's kind of the the point there, right? And so we're going to start at verse 10 this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Hopefully you're still awake and still here. Amen. Okay, in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. That's a good way to appeal because he's saying, we are family. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Verse 13, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Perhaps in Corinth... There was a bit of attachment to the person that baptized you. Hey, who baptized you? Oh, Paul. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Well, I was baptized by Paul. There's probably this kind of flavor going on in Corinth. And Paul says, hey, I'm glad that that, that not really happened with me so that nobody can claim that I baptized you. In verse 16, he kind of has this recollection. Oh, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. He's one of the first converts. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. In other words, it doesn't matter who baptizes who. In verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And so here we have these few verses in this context of Paul writing to a church that says, we're a Christian church, but when you turn up, there's division. It doesn't quite look Christian. And so as, as we read through the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll see these five areas where Paul says, hey, if you're a disciple of Jesus, here, here's five areas that it should impact your life. Now, it's not limited to five, right? It's not like there's only five areas that, that the gospel changes you. But in the book of 1 Corinthians, he kind of he narrows it down to five, what was going on in Corinth. And the first one is unity. That's all chapters one through four. Corinth is a mess. There's no unity, there's heaps of division. So the first four chapters, he's saying, hey, look, 
here's how you need to work together. All right. And then after that, he talks about if you're a disciple of Jesus, here's what your sexuality should look like. It should be different from the pagan world. And then he switches gears and he talks about freedom and responsibility because the Corinthians were saying, hey, we're free in Christ. I can do this even if it causes my brother or sister to stumble. So Paul will say, if you're a disciple, here's what freedom and responsibility looks like. And then worship. If you turned up at a church service in Corinth, it was chaos. So Paul says, if, if you're really going to be unified, here's what a worship service should look like. And then last, they didn't even believe in the resurrection. So this church is quite off as an understatement, right? And so Paul's correcting them and helping them understand, here's, here's what really, here's what the cross should really do to your life and how it would impact you as a church. Let's talk about your unity. And that's our only point this morning. The cross creates Unity. In order for God to be known among the nations, if someone steps into a church or someone visits our church, there should be some type of visible unity. If not, disunity will also be present. So either way, we're going to make some statement about ourselves and about God. And so what's going on in Corinth? Verse 11 says that he's been informed. Hey, hey, hey guys, someone from Chloe's household told on you. And that's interesting in itself, you know, because a lot of times people tell each other things and oh, don't tell, but you know, don't tell, but somebody this and don't tell anybody that. And I understand that to a degree, but they're saying, hey, look, there's trouble going on here. We need to get somebody involved. And Paul says, somebody told me that there's divisions among you. There's quarrels. That word quarrel is actually not just like, hey, I disagree with you and you disagree with me. It's from a Greek word, Aries, which translates into strife, war, discontent. In Greek mythology, it stands for the goddess of war or the, the goddess of discord whose brother was the god of war. So when you look at Corinth, they're like, hey, I follow Paul. Hey, why well, follow Apollos? I follow Cephas. I follow Jesus. Imagine turning up to church and that's what you saw in the fellowship afterwards. That's not, that's not too encouraging, right? That, that's, that's, and sadly, it's not even over doctrine. It's just on who they prefer based on their personality. So they haven't even really gotten down to the doctrine yet. Well, I, I like this guy. This guy sounds better. Well, I like this guy. And so that's the kind of flavor that you see in, at Corinth. What's happened? Paul turns up. In Acts chapter 18, he preaches, he baptizes some people, and he says, I don't remember who I baptized, baptized this guy, and this guy. I don't, beyond that, I don't even remember who else I baptized. And he spends a year and a half there, right? So imagine he comes to town and he preaches and teaches and leads your church for a year and a half, and he himself claims in his letters, he's not the best speaker. But yet when you hear his letters, you think, really? But he says, you know, I didn't come with wisdom. I didn't come with eloquence. I didn't come with this pomp and circumstance. I just came and I was fearful and I trembled and I taught you about Jesus. But so whoever was converted by Paul, and when, when, whenever he was first there, there was some group that said, hey, Paul, that's our guy. I like, I like his style. I like his personality. He's the father of our church. Paul is our guy. Now, what happens after Paul leaves Corinth, Apollos comes in and steps into the leadership role for a while at the church. And, and Apollos is claimed in Acts as somebody who's learned with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He speaks fervently. He speaks accurately about Jesus. So there's a potential when you contrast Paul's preaching to Apollos' preaching, Apollos sounds impressive and polished and wise. And, and then when they hear Paul, it's like, uh, I kind of like Apollos. 
Apollos is my guy. And then so this little group rallies around Apollos. And then it's possible that Peter even visited Corinth because he's referenced a few times in 1 Corinthians. He comes to town and his background is Jewish. So who's going to connect to Peter? The Jews. When he comes and he talks about, let's be this and that, they'll say, yeah, that's, that's Peter's our man. So it's all based on personality. But of course, you have the crowd, perhaps the most arrogant, and says, oh, we don't follow any land but Jesus. You know, you kind of get that superiority. Oh, yeah, you guys are following men, but we follow Christ. We are enlightened. We are super spiritual. Right? That's, that's kind of that crowd. So when you come, when you come to Corinth, it's a mess. It's chaos. There's division all over the place. It's a circus. And if, and if you came to that church and afterwards you'd be like, man, what is going on in this church? There's not real unity. There's division. And despite these clear problems that people are writing to Paul about, the church thinks we're so spiritual and we're so wise. Right? It's like, come on. Can, can you see what's going on here in Corinth, right? They, they were most impressed by people who spoke the best. That was their criteria. That was their value system. And Paul says, no, let's talk about how to really create genuine unity. And so in in this passage, he talks in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of Lord Jesus, that you agree with one another and what you say, and there be no divisions among you, but you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. What is he saying? Let's make clones? No. Christianity is not a clone religion, but we, we should all have the same values, the same perspectives. And as a result, we arrive at similar conclusions. United in mind and thought. And Paul will really drive this home and he says what what the supreme core value is, is the cross. It's the cross. And when you use that as your value system and that's your main perspective, we all can arrive at similar conclusions and everything else doesn't really matter. And so let me help you, church in Corinth. This this should be your value system. This should be your perspective. Not who sounds the greatest or most polished or eloquent, but the cross. That needs to be your value system. And then in verse 13, he gets more specific. He asks him three questions. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of the Paul? In other words, he's saying the question for you guys isn't who do you follow or which guy do you follow or which guy do you follow? The question is... Who died for you? Did Paul die for you? Did Apollos die for you? Did Peter die for you? The obvious answer is no. But it's like, it doesn't matter who actually died for you. That's the core perspective. That's who you need to follow. That's who you need to align your mind with. Not any of these other guys, but the power of the cross. And so Paul is trying to dismantle this division by helping them understand the cross. And then in verse 17, he kind of emphasizes it more. Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So if it has the potential to be emptied of its power, that means we need to figure out how to make it powerful. Does that follow? Because what if, if you just really simplify this, Paul's saying when you guys use the value system of the world, you're emptying the power of the cross. Come on, bro. 
But when you really unify and share the same conviction about Jesus and the power of the cross, it creates genuine, long-term unity. Now, Corinth was is interesting because that's that was their value system. They kind of based their conclusions on how, how well people spoke. That was the influence of the city of Corinth. So the culture influenced them more than the cross. And as a result, you see this division. And I think that's the same today. The wisdom of the world always sounds appealing and it always sounds impressive, right? You've been around long enough where you've heard different theories and different trends in these areas over the last 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, however old you are, however many years. Let's take nutrition, for example, for example, right? I don't know how long ago, but 10 years ago, let's say, the, the trend was stay away from all types of fat and make a certain percentage of this type of fat, whatever. Maybe you followed this, maybe you didn't. But now it's like, fat's good, just eat the right kind of fat. And, and, and you can pick whatever other trend. There's all kind of eat more protein, eat more meat, eat this, eat that. Don't I, don't I don't know, but there's always some kind of shifting trend from decade to decade about nutrition, right? And we're all familiar with that. Exercise. Don't play video games. Five years later, video games increases your enhancement eye coordination ability. I don't know what it's saying, but, but there's all kind of these new trends that are always coming out. Many, many years ago, if you just hula hoop, Remember the hula hoop? That circular thing? People used to hula hoop. If you just hula hoop every day, you'll be fine. Then it turned out if you just exercise 30 minutes a day, and now it's like if you get some exercise in per week, it's like it's always shifting, and it's always changing. Now you have to do yoga and your weight training. I don't know, but it's always changing, isn't it? It's always changing. Education. At first it's about memorize facts, memorize facts, memorize facts. Now kids just like facts, I'll just Google it. Facts are irrelevant, you know, there's no need to memorize facts anymore. Now it's about how to learn to engage with technology. You pick it, right? On and on and on. It doesn't matter. The, The point is that the wisdom of the world always is shifting, always is changing, always is reversing. Oh, and what that does is creates division. Because everybody's saying, well, this guy, I follow this, I follow this yoga instructor. I follow this nutrition guy. I follow this education. But it's always shifting from decade to decade. It's never the same. And it's always creating this kind of division. So Paul is trying to help them see, look, guys, if you follow the value system of the world, it's always going to create division. Always. But if you follow the power of the cross, that's what creates division. Unity. Genuine biblical unity. Wisdom of the world is always partial. There's always new data, new research, new conclusions, new this, new that. It's never, we have finally solved all of the problem. It's always partial. That way it'll always change, it'll always shift, and it'll always create division. The cross never changes. Always the same, and therefore creates unity. what, What does this mean in our lives? And Paul wants the church in Corinth to know as well, like... We all, if, if you're like me, or even if you're not like me, at some point we all like something that we can boast about. Yep. We all want a field of expertise. We all want some knowledge in some area. We all want something where we say, hey, I know a little bit about this, and I could boast about this. And, and then what happens is, based on what I know, I can evaluate other people by it. 
And what that does is creating division. I want to know more so I can evaluate more in all this process, right? And Paul says when you use that kind of value system, you're always creating division. But when you focus on the cross, it's disarming. A story about a man who died, there's not really anything attractive to the world in that. And yet Paul says that's what breaks all our arrogance down. You can't boast in anything in front of the cross except the cross. And, and I think this is important for our church. Is it hot in here this morning? Yeah. It's pretty warm, eh? I was wondering. Um, I'm going to roll my sleeve up one by one. <laughs> that was never a thought that crossed my mind. But, but thank you for the warning. Sometimes you just need a little bit of relief, you know, breathe into the... But I, I believe that we have, we have to, as a church, really understand the power of the cross creating unity. Because our church will grow. We're growing every year. Praise God as people becoming Christians and people growing in their character and people coming back to church. And, and praise God for that. But as it grows and as it changes, there's a potential for more disunity. Or there's a potential for greater unity. Because, you know, in the book of Acts, they're 3,000 strong, but they all believe and share the same convictions. That's very impressive. And by the time Corinth comes, <laughs> they're like, they've lost that plot, right? And so for us, as, even as we transition this year and as we shift to regions, we have people leading regions, there's going to be, well, I'm not, I don't really, I'm not sure if I prefer that style over this style, I prefer this way over this way. In the end, that's all really irrelevant as long as we are, as long as we all share the conviction, the cross is what creates unity. The cross is really what creates unity. And we're an experiment with some different Bible talk formats because I think that's healthy to do to try and figure out what works best and what doesn't work. What can we move on from and all that kind of stuff. And, and we may prefer, I prefer this over that and I prefer to do this way or that way. But in the end, our unity is not created by structure. It's created by the cross. And so how we do things isn't as important as why we do things. And we have the freedom to kind of, you know, try different things and, and be gracious and patient when we do. But let's be perfectly united in mind and thought and say, hey, as long as the cross is our core conviction and that's what creates our unity, amen. I'm willing to, to, to try around with different Bible talk models. I think it's important, too, because some Bible talks will stay the same. Some Bible talks will shift. Some of the members will cross over and, and a lot and, and several changes may happen happening and everybody will have different perspectives and I, I'd, I'd rather be in this group or I'd rather be in this group and, and all that's fine. But again, our unity isn't created by Bible talks. It's created by the cross. That's what provides a long-term foundation, the cross. And it's, it's important as we begin to raise up new leaders. Because soon there'll be new guys preaching, younger guys preaching, more handsome and eloquent than myself. No, it's hard to believe, Alan, but it can, it can, it can happen. And it'll be, and, and I'm like this too. I hear somebody else preach and I say, man, I really like that guy's style. I really like that preacher. But in the end, nobody died for me except Jesus. That's the most relevant point, and Paul wants them to know that as well. When we plant another church in Wellington, It'll be important for our unity to stick together even more. 
Yep. It'll be important for us to understand the cross is what creates this unity. Because who goes on the mission team and who doesn't go? That's bound to create a little bit of tension. But in the end, our unity isn't created by mission teams. It's created by the cross. How they organize their service and who leads the songs and what events they do, that doesn't create unity. The cross creates unity. When we share this same core conviction of the cross, we also create unity. And in Corinth, Paul was trying to help, let me help you guys understand, although you say you follow Jesus, it's not demonstrated at your church services. And I pray that as, as we continue to read the book of Corinthians and we understand Paul's mind and his insight into God and how he teaches and corrects the church, that we too can let the cross shape our unity and we can let the cross shape our views and we can all share the same convictions and arrive at the same conclusions. And when we do so, we'll all be singing the same song. Unity doesn't mean you sing the same note, but the same song. Does that make sense? As long as we're singing the same song, the cross is what creates unity. It's all good. It's all good. And I believe that as we do so more and more, God's name will be made great among Auckland, among New Zealand, and the nations as we fully allow the cross to display its power. Amen.